Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Pierpoint is retired, living in Hope Sound, Florida. But for over 50 years, he was a successful pastor and evangelist. This sermon was preached in 1983 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida. He titles this sermon, The Place of Blessing. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on. people sleeping while I'm preaching, but I do rather object to your snoring. But it would be best to keep awake. And so we do appreciate your presence and an effort here to get what God has for us. Aren't you glad you're in Hope Sound, Florida this hour? Just suppose you're in Washington, D.C. this very hour along the highway somewhere, or in Philadelphia, where there is approximately one to three feet of snow and the drifts like four, five, six feet high. Aren't you glad you're in Hope Sound, Florida? The balmy breezes that have been blowing here. It's a beautiful atmosphere. But you know, more than just the climate, I thank God for the heavenly breezes that we've sensed blowing from time to time from the glory world. I could not be in all of the service this morning. I came in a little later in the service, and I was just so conscious of God's hallowed and holy presence. God met my own need. I sensed his help. Hallelujah. It's a good place to get help. And I have a confidence that God wants to do something more for us and with us in the service tonight and the great services tomorrow. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles with you and like to follow in the reading of the lesson, Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 32. I'd like to have you stand for the reading of God's Word. I will break in here our reading with the 24th verse of chapter 32, Genesis 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. 
he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. I want you to look at this expression, last part of this verse, and he blessed him there. If I were to give a title for the truth that we would like to share, as God be pleased to help, it would be something like this, the place of blessing. Brother Miller, right where you're standing, please, would you look to the Lord for his blessing on the reading of the ministry of the word one more time. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, amen. You may be seated. With this dramatic story of Jacob before us, we should admit once and for all there's no place so strange or so unlikely for God to meet man, and man to meet God. I ask you this afternoon again, where was it that Jacob met God? Jacob met God under an open sky by a brawling brook, but there God met with him. I ask you this afternoon, where was it that Moses met God? Very unlikely place. He met God one day on the backside of a desert, But there God revealed himself in the medium of a burning bush. I ask you this afternoon, where was it that Elijah met God? He met God in a mountain cave. Slipping on over to the New Testament, I ask you this afternoon, where was it that the Samaritan woman met God? She met God in Christ by a well-side curve. I ask you this afternoon, where was it that Saul of Tarsus met God. He met God in Christ along a caravan trail headed for Damascus. He got a revelation of Christ in a rather unlikely place. I ask you this afternoon, where was it that Zacchaeus met God? Rather unlikely place. He met God in Christ perched up there in a sycamore tree. I thank God this afternoon for this wonderful sanctuary. I believe already this place has become a place of blessing to many, many hearts. I don't know how long he'll tarry, but I have a conviction that this sanctuary will be a place of blessing for many, many souls across the country. I know it will be. But really, friends, you don't have to come to Hope Sound to find a place of blessing. 
Because of our preconceived notions and ideals, we commonly think the only place we can meet God is at an altar somewhere in a temple or a tabernacle or a camp meeting or a revival service. But friends, meeting God is not confined to physical localities. God is not confined to cloisters or tabernacles or camp meetings or churches or altars. This man, Jacob, learned a profound lesson that night by a brawling brook, Jagger. He learned this, that any place can become a hallowed meeting place when certain conditions are met. And when those conditions are met and we respond to God in faith, that can be your place of blessing. It might be right here in this beautiful sanctuary. doesn't have to be. It can be in your car. It can be out in the barn. It can be out there in the field. It can be while riding along. Wherever those conditions are met and respond in faith, that can be your place of blessing. Hallelujah. The life of Jacob makes for a very interesting study. From no point of view was Jacob an ordinary man. He was clever. He was ambitious. He was resourceful. And incidentally, he was a little religious too. But really, from the moral standpoint, there is much in the character and the life of Jacob that is vastly disappointing. But the thing that encourages me and blesses my own soul is, here's a truth I'd like to share. There came a point, there came a time, there came a place where God changed not only the name of Jacob, but changed his nature. And here this trickster, here this supplanter, here this conniver, here this one, the epitome of self-assertiveness, this man became changed so much so that God says, Thou art a prince, and thou shalt have power with God. If he can make a prince out of a supplanter, hallelujah, there is help for me, and there is hope for you. <laughs> Amen. Thank God. This afternoon, I'd like to have you trace with me the more significant features, not the geographical features, but the spiritual features of this place of blessing. And let me stop right off. I believe there's a place of blessing for every soul. There's a place where God can meet your heart. There's a place where God can give you the victory. Whatever that need is, I believe there can be a place where God can meet that need, be it need for pardon. Oh, hallelujah, God's in the business of pardoning souls, rescuing lives. And if it be the need for entire sanctification, there can be a place of blessing for you. Hallelujah. First of all, I want you to note with me, for one thing, the place of blessing is often a place of separation. Glance, please, at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. You know the story. You know the background. He has an interest in getting back to Palestine. The Lord had promised him the land, but Esau presently was standing in the way. In fact, at this moment, Esau was coming for him. And Jacob was trembling. You know how? He used psychology. He did a little bribery work. And he divides up his whole possessions into various groups. 
and sends them all across. And now he's alone. All the cattle are across, the cows, the bulls, the sheep, the lamb, uh, whatever he had, his camels, his possessions, his family, his friends, they're all across, and now he's alone. He's alone, alone except with God. Oh, I would be so pleased this afternoon if God would speak to us again. Being alone, alone with God is more than a good title for a song. Here's an experience that we need to have occasionally, alone with God, alone with God. There are lessons that can only be learned in the stillness and the silence of the night that can never be learned in the busy city street of the noon hour. Oh, somehow, if God can get us alone. I believe that God would like to speak to us. These closing hours of this camp meeting, he has. Thank God for it. But I have a conviction there's still work to be done if somehow he can get us alone. I wonder if this is not the curse that's facing us in our culture today. We're so busy, so busy. Not necessarily doing wrong things or wicked things, but just so taken up with the business of the day until we have so little time for God to speak to us. But the place of blessing oftentimes is a place of being alone, alone with God. My mind goes back the time of our acquaintance with Dr. T.M. Anderson, great Nazarene evangelist, slipped off to heaven a few years ago. I had the privilege of working with him a little bit for a few weeks and did little chauffeuring work for him. And incidentally, I asked him one time, I said, what do you think of Hope Sound Camp? And his reply was, it's the noisiest and the best. <laughs> Hallelujah. But anyway... I heard Dr. Anderson share this with a ministerial group in Binghamton, New York in the 60s, 1960. And so it pressed upon me what he was saying that I hurried with a pencil and marked down the notes. Some of you remember the experience that he had in the 50s, an unusual awakening and revival in his own soul, and it seemed like that God gave him a sense, a gift of discernment. And these are some of the remarks that he shared with that great group of ministers that were gathered, packed the sanctuary in the Binghamton Pilgrim Church in 1960 in April. I have not forgotten those words. He said, oh, my brother, my sister, I beg of you to keep spiritual things first. Regulate your life until you won't be congested and crowded by the cares and the concerns of this life. You keep them in secondary place, and if needs be, pick them up and pitch them out and say, there, stay there, you're up. Anderson said to that crowd, I refuse to bow down to it, to be a party to it. I'm going to keep spiritual. Friends, we're going to have to set up some priorities these days. So many things are crowding in that clamor for our attention and for our time. The place of blessing, I say, is often the place of separation. But Anderson went on to say, and this is so typical of how he would say it. Anderson said, I never had brains enough to make a fortune, but I've had sense enough to get religion, and I want to keep it. And everything I get above nothing, I count extra. 
And I'm going to have as much of God as can be prayed out of the skies and prayed out of this book and keep in line with him. And I say, Amen. Then Tony Anderson went on to say in the first time, I get a little bit congested. The Lord say, no, no. Can't you hear him say it? Let that alone a little while. You come over here and you talk to me. And Anderson said, and blessed be God. I know people thought I was crazy. But I know this on that night of January the 6th at exactly 12 o'clock at night. God Almighty awakened me as if the fire alarm had sounded. And I didn't know what had happened. I looked at the clock and said, well, I'll better get three or four more hours of sleep. I'll be dead on my feet for lectures tomorrow. Then God spoke and said, Anderson, can you stay awake long enough to let me talk to you? Reverend Anderson said, and for five hours, for five hours, he gave me a going over. You've been busy here and you've been busy there. That isn't what I called you to do. When Christ got through with me, ladies and gentlemen, I had already touched bottom. And Jesus was close to me than the sunlight of the next day. And from that hour to this, I have never, I have never lost sight of him. And any time Anderson's goods or possessions or what little he may have or his pleasures or anything else gets in the way, uh uh-uh, God first. Oh, my dear friends, this afternoon, the place of blessing oftentimes is a place of separation. But I'm afraid our lives get too cluttered. God has something to say to us and reveal himself to us. We're going to have to say with Anderson, "Uh uh-uh, get along. Get away. I've got to get alone with God. Alone with God. It was when Isaiah was alone in the temple, he got a revelation of the holiness of God. It was when Moses was alone in the backside of the desert, he got a revelation. Moses said, I'll stop what I'm doing here. I'll I'll take note. And he looked at the burning bush and God was able to speak to him. But let's hurry on a little. From the experience of Jacob, we learn the second truth. Often the place of blessing is not only a place of separation, but it's a place of struggle. For you'll note again in verse 24 that wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. Jacob was now in a desperate struggle. If you look at the earlier chapters, you'll find something of the history, the background of the struggle for more than 20 years. By peace of cunning craft, Jacob and his overfond mother had swindled Esau out of the birthright and blessing. They did what a schoolboy would say, a nasty low-down trick. Jacob deceived his father. He lied to his brother. And now he is running for his life from the wrath of Esau. And over the intervening years, Jacob prospers considerably. And now, 20 years have passed. He wants to go to Palestine, the land of promise. But he has rather uncertain feelings. There's apprehension. There's fear. And well, there might be. For a caravan now is coming down through the pass of Gilead. And his brother Esau is coming to meet him. And mind, he's coming with 400 armed men. And I don't think that was the Marine band coming to meet him to play hail to the chief. 
I don't think they were coming out to play home sweet home, Jacob. Year two, four, Jacob had handled every situation. Generally, he could wiggle around everything and get his way for the most part. But now his back is against the wall. Jacob tried psychology, bribery. But chickens were now coming home to roost. And some will never, never get very far until their back is against the wall in desperate struggles. And that's the condition we see and sense here as we look at Jacob at this hour. You know that Jacob had been chosen of God to a noble destiny. But as you read this chapter, you see Jacob trying to work this thing out for himself, relying on the arm of flesh, relying on his psychology, relying on his brawn and his brains. How can I overcome the hostility of my brother? How can I get into the land of promise? And so he's relying on his own skeeving, his conniving. But you can never get into the land of promise by conniving. You can never inherit what God wants to you, my friends, by simple human brawn or brains. God was wanting to teach Jacob some lessons. By this means of manifestation, God is speaking to Jacob here and saying in so many words, Jacob, who's the owner of the land? It's not Esau. God himself was Jacob's adversary in a sense. God, not Esau, is the owner of the land. Jacob had to come to terms, not with Esau, but he had to come to terms with God. Jacob, you're not fit to enter this land. You're a conniver. You're a schemer. You're a man for the epitome of selfishness, self-centered living. You can't enter this land with that kind of disposition. Jacob, before you can conquer men, there's a nature that must be conquered in you, Jacob. This is what God is saying. And essentially, my dear friends, you know why the struggle? Simply this, Jacob was not willing to let go and let God have his way in his own heart and life. And nine-tenths of our difficulties, friend, is simply here that we're just not willing to let go and let God have his wonderful way in our hearts and our lives. It is not trying to overcome some reluctance on the part of God. No, God wants to bless. God wants to help. God's here to give pardon. God's here to give purity. He wants to do it. He wants to give revival. He wants to give his blessing. But are we willing to let go completely and surrender our lives totally and completely and respond to him in faith? There was a nature within Jacob, a disposition within him that sort of wanted his own way, that was not willing to let go and let God have his way. Why the struggle? There was a nature that had to be confessed. If I might put it this way, there was a nature that had to die. I can hear Jacob say, oh God, I want power over my brother. But Jacob, that's not your trouble. Jacob, there's something within that needs to die. I want the land that was promised me. But Jacob, you can't have it. You're not fit for it. There's something within that needs to die. I want to conquer my brother. But Jacob, that's not your trouble. You've got something within that needs to be conquered. You know, after the victory in World War II, victory was officially declared. There were still small groups of Japanese soldiers here and there, various areas and islands who refused to surrender. Overall, the victory had been declared. Surrender had been made official. Yet there were little hideouts of defense 
little pockets, if you might say, of resistance. And that's precisely why some this afternoon do not have the blessing, the full blessing of God. It's because of those little areas of resistance, those little pockets of resistance. Oh, my dear daddy used to say, the fire will never fall upon your altar until the sacrifice is made complete. Thank God there can be a total and complete surrender. Hallelujah. But that's precisely what's happening here. There's a struggle. There's a battle between Jacob's will and God's will. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Jacob simply is not willing to let go and let God have his way. There's a price to be paid. There's obedience. There's a faith to be respond to respond. There's a battle of raging, a conflict. It's a battle of wills. It's Jacob's will against God's will. Somehow it's gained currency among us that this night-long wrestle with was a picture of a man dealing earnestly with God in prayer. I'm not sure about that. It doesn't seem to be the case here. We're not told that Jacob wrestled with a man. The man wrestled with Jacob. Something very different here. It seems to me to be the picture of God thrashing Jacob. God smashing Jacob. God trying to break Jacob. You know, can I say it? God sometimes does not have an easy job smashing the bridgeheads of our clever self-sufficiency. I say it again. I say it reverently. God has no easy time of it to break down the fortified walls of our self-defense and to capture the inner strongholds of pride. This was the case with Jacob. The conflict ensued. The struggle went on. A battle of wills. I believe that Jacob wanted God, the measure of God, but he was not willing to come to a total surrender. Oh, if we want his blessing, if we want the kind of victory that God can give, there must come a place, a place, if you please, of total submission. Amen. When I first went to Binghamton Church to pastor my home church, I came with a consciousness that perhaps I had certain advantages and then certain disadvantages. I grew up in the church and I was a PK and, uh, and uh, well, I didn't inherently do anything inherently wicked, but I was full of teas and fun and I think I disrupted a few of the saints here and there along the line as a growing boy. So I counted a real honor to be called as the pastor of my home church. And I remember some of the individuals that I grew up with that, that were lost at least from the fellowship. I wondered where they were. And so I made a list when I first came to my home church of people that I wanted to, young people at that time when I grew up there, wanted to follow them, find where they were, see if they can get them back to church. And one was by the name of Dolores. I've been there several weeks, in fact, several months, and I, on a Saturday afternoon, I called in her home, found out where she lived. I wondered if she would remember me for... 15, 16 years have passed by and I've lost a few hairs and gained a few pounds since the time that uh, we left and when she left the church. But I recognized her and she recognized me. And she turned to me and she said, Paul, I heard that you were in town and I had a feeling that you'd be here to call on me. And I want you to know, so many words, I want you to know I'm not interested in the church. I'm not interested in you as a pastor. And brother, talk about a cold shoulder. I got one. And she closed the door in my face. I'm not too smart, but I knew uh, smart enough to know I wasn't wanted. And I left. 
But I didn't forget her in prayer and shared her name again in the Tuesday prayer groups with others. A number of weeks went by. And one morning, I received a call. In fact, we were in special services. Richard Beckham was our evangelist, youth revival. And the phone rang, and this was her answer. Brother Paul. I said, yes. Who is this speaking? She said, this is Dolores. Well, we have a number of Dolores, and I didn't, it didn't catch. She said, this is Dolores. Dolores who? And then she mentioned her full name, and I was shocked. And I could tell that she was broken. I mean, here she had nothing to do with me and closed the door in my face. Now she was calling and calling me Brother Paul, no less. And she said, Brother Paul, something has happened to me last night. It seemed like I was going to drop into hell. I asked God for his mercy and his grace. Brother Paul, Christ has saved me. I said, I'll be right over. And the door wasn't closed. It was open. And I could see a wonderful, wonderful change take place in Dolores. Thank God for the redeeming power of Christ. In these special services one day, she called me, I don't know how many times. And this is what I'm getting across, my friends. Oh, let's be obedient. Total obedience, total surrender to the whole word and will of God. That's the way to victory. And it may be at times, it may be what God is asking of you may sound right down silly to your carnal worldly friends. But if God is speaking, you obey. Let there be total surrender. Whatever he wants. Dolores mentioned to me several times that she felt that this is what God wanted her to do in the service. She wanted to make an apology to the church for when she left the church as a teenage girl, she left with hostility and bitterness and hatred. She hated the pastor and hated her parents and hated the leaders of the church and went out with bitterness, went off into deep, deep sin. Well, I thought all that Dolores wanted to do was just simply stand up and make... She didn't have to go into all the gory details and just stand where she was sitting. I said, Dolores, certainly that's what God wants you to do, and I believe that would be a good thing. That night the church was packed with people, and I was looking occasionally over at Dolores sitting on my left, and I could tell she was being worked on. She was a little agitated. And I thought somewhere in the service she's going to stand. This is what God wants her to do. She wants to be obedient. And finally she stood and said, Brother, Brother Paul. I said, Dolores, go ahead. I thought she'd stand right there and make, make the apology or whatever she felt that God... But instead of that, she came up front and stood in front of the sacred desk. I was getting a little nervous. I'm of a nervous temperament, you know. And I said to myself, oh, dear Dolores, what are you doing? So help me, Lord. She was just only being obedient to what she felt definitely clear to do. It seemed a little odd to me. But then she turned to that congregation. She said, Brother Pierpoint, are you here? My father, she was referring to my father, and he had a heart seizure, and he wasn't there in the service that, after, that, uh, that evening. And I said, Dolores, my father is not here. Mother is here. And she said, Sister Pierpoint, are you here? And my mother said, yes. And she said, would you stand? And mother stood, and she said, Sister Pierpoint, would you come up front? And I was saying to myself, Dolores, what are you doing? I, I, I didn't know how just to handle this one. And my mother didn't know what to do, so she was obedient and came and stood with Dolores. And let me tell you, gentlemen, you always ought to bring a clean handkerchief to a hole in the service. You never know. You, you might need it. And she turned and to a dear, dear brother, 
who'd been in the church for many, many years. And when Dolores left, he was a board member. I'm not sure what else his position might have been, but he represented the board of the church. And she turned and said, Brother Green, are you here? Brother Albert Green, and Brother Albert stood to his feet. What else could he do? And she said, Brother Green, would you come front, please? And Brother Green marched down, and there was my mother and Brother Green. And I was saying to myself, Dolores, what are you doing? You're going to ruin this thing. To myself, you know, oh, God, forgive me. She was only being obedient to what God has spoken to her. And then she finally said to, again, she said, is Winnie here, Winifred Green, it's Brother Green's a daughter who at that time when Dolores left with hostility and bitterness, she was the youth leader. And she said, Winnie, are you here? And Winnie stood. She said, Winifred, would you come front, please? And she came down, and there was the crowd around Dolores. And then Dolores turned to Brother Green and said, Brother Green, do you have a, do you have a handkerchief? Unfortunately, he did, and it was a good one. Good size, clean. And she took the handkerchief and bowed gracefully on her knees and very ceremoniously started to dust the feet from Brother Green. She didn't get very far. God, the Holy Ghost, broke loose in that service. There was a deluge of glory and power that was let loose. The altar line filled. The front benches were filled. What was it? A humble, newly reclaimed lady fell on her heart that she had to make this kind of apology. I'm not using this necessarily as the criteria for the blessing, but whatever it is that God wants of you, there must be, yes, Lord. And it may sound downright silly to someone else, but if it's God's word and God's voice and God's will, oh, let there be a total surrender. Don't let the struggle ensue. Say yes to God. He wants to bless you. It could be your place of blessing. Hallelujah. I've already mentioned this place of blessing. It can be a place of splendor. Night was beginning to lift its blackness from the hills of Gilead. There were faint streaks of dawn from the eastern horizon. No, that night the struggle ensued. God trying to break Jacob. But Jacob fought. He fought. He fought back. But at the break of day, at the break of day, the crisis moment arrived. The tricky, shifty son of Jacob stopped his fighting. He surrendered. <laughs> and he cried, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I can't go any further. I must have the blessing. I must have him. I must have his help. I won't let you go unless you bless me. Hallelujah. And don't miss this here. God's not just content to give you a little tickle. God's not content to just give you a little emotional stir. No. God wasn't content just to take care of Esau. There's more here than just preserving Jacob's life. I kind of think that God said something like this to Jacob. Jacob, what about all of this in your life? What is the thing that's causing you trouble, Jacob? Well, you know, Lord, I sort of got out of step a couple of times, Lord, and just kind of, oh, make a, made a few mistakes. No, Jacob, what is back of it all? What's back of your rascality? What's back of your meanness? 
Jacob, what's your name? Don't forget, of course, names are often indicative of character. Jacob, oh, friends, it's one thing just naming over our deeds, but it's another thing to put your finger and identify this is the source, this is the problem, this is the thing, this is the cause. Oh, it's my disposition. It's just something within my own heart and life. Jacob, I'm not interested in your deeds. What's your disposition? What have you been guilty of all your life? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? And then he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he confessed his nature. Ah, I'm a trickster. I'm a supplanter. I'm a conniver. Oh, Jacob. God can never do too much for you until you come to this place of submission. Recognition of your nature and confess it and ask God to take care of it. And he reached the point of submission and surrender. He reached it by confession. He simply simply turned his soul inside out. Jacob came to a point of total surrender and submission. The place of blessing is a place of surrender. I've heard Brother Heron say a number of years ago something that I've never forgotten. He asked, put this in the form of a question, and I want to share it with you hurriedly here. Friends, do we carry the marks of crippling about us? You see, the man that's lame, the man with a withered leg, the man with a crippled leg, he can't fight. He can't fight. The only thing he can do is cling. Jacob lost his fight. The source of his strength was gone. He couldn't rely on himself any longer. He's clipping. He's crippled. But God gives victory to the crippled. God gives his blessing to the lame. God gives his help to those who have come to a total surrender. And I can't rely on my strength. I can't rely on my brawn. I can't rely on my brain. Oh, God, I have to have your help. I've tried this for a long time, and it doesn't get me anywhere. It's, oh, God, there's no strength of my own. There's no, oh, God, I've got to have your help. God gives blessing to the crippled. His ego was smashed. His self-sufficiency was smashed. He was crippled. He had a mark of crippling about him. Now the clever, the strong ones, they can take care of themselves. At least they think they can. But it's the limp, it's the lame, it's the cripple that have to cling for God's help. I can't do it myself. Jacob had been conquered. He's now clinging. Hallelujah. Let me give you one more. The place of blessing is a place of splendor. From separation through struggle, submission, to splendor. This is the highway that Jacob traveled. And the destination of this road is to the place of splendor. Oh, what splendor. Did you see it here? For one thing, there was a new disposition. And that is, that is always splendid. Verse 28. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. No more supplanter, but now prince. Withered now is the selfish pride that he had. Blooming now was the gracious princeliness that God had conferred upon him. You know what I like to see in these closing services of this great camp? I like to see some names, some degrees conferred here in this sanctuary. 
What degree would that be? NMJ. No more Jacob. Hallelujah. Oh, some name changings here. Some nature changings here. Instead of being a supplanter or a trickster. or cannot, Instead of this, this awful pride that's dominated my soul and my life. And this selfishness, this self-assertiveness. This, this awful reliance upon the flesh. Oh, no. Something has happened to the eagle. Something has... Oh, there's been a crucifixion. There's been a death here. There's a reliance. Nature changing. You know, you can't come to this kind of place of blessing without being marked. You know what I like to see? I like to see you dear folk go home with a mark on you. Real marked up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And now folks back home will say, well, where have you been? Been in Florida. Well, I don't see any suntan. No, I didn't go to just see the sun. I didn't go to just see the surf and turf. <laughs> I went to camp meeting. Something happened at Hope Sound. <laughs> the source of my strength was smashed. I've been so, for so many years so clever, so ambitious, so, so vindictive, so man-managed in my life, in my heart. I, but I, I got crippled. And everywhere you go. <laughs> Jacob, what's happened to you? I, I went to Hope Sound camp meeting. <laughs> Jacob, were you born that way? No, 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 no. I wasn't born that way. Oh, friends, I tell you, the place of blessing is a place of splendor because there can be a new disposition. But more than that, hurriedly, it's a place of splendor because there is here a new disclosure. Did you notice that here, verse 30? I have seen God face to face. I wonder in my imagination... Somebody didn't maybe go around to Jacob after a little while and say, Jacob, do you believe, do you really believe in the existence of a personal God? Do you really think there is a God? How do you think Jacob would have answered? He surely wouldn't have said, well, I don't. That's a, that's a great question. I just don't know. There are times I have some serious doubt. That wouldn't be his response. No way. You know what Jacob would say? Sure, I know there is a God. I've just seen him face to face. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, do you know, friends, what we need across the movement? We need a fresh revelation of the all-sufficiency of an almighty God. And I'm praying, oh, God, grant it so in these meetings here at Hope Sound that together somehow we'll lift our eyes above the difficulties of this day and take a fresh, healthy look at an almighty God, one that is sufficient to meet all. He's a God bigger than all of our problems and all of our difficulties. Oh, God, give us a fresh revelation of Christ, thy son, this afternoon, the Christ of glory, the Christ of Calvary. When those Greeks came to Jerusalem, I don't think they were just particularly interested in seeing the sights of Jerusalem. I'm sure that the temple must have been fascinating and the robe priests and all the ceremony must have been fascinating. And, but oh, the folks from Greece would have, would have much more things fascinating to see back in their homeland. 
I kind of have a feeling that those Greeks that came to Jerusalem that day heard about this man from Galilee. They heard about this one that was so kind to children. They heard about this one that taught as, with authority, spoke as no other man would speak. And so they came across a man by the name of Philip. And they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. I have a hunger this afternoon. I know that you do. I think we can express it in these words. Sir, we would see Jesus. Thank God for the lovely tabernacle. Thank God for the beautiful climate in southern Florida and all that goes with it. But I'm here more than just a sightseeing purpose. I'm more than just seeing surf and turf and whatever that goes with it. I want to see the sun. S-O-N. I want a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation of His grace and a revelation of His power. And I'm closing with this. Over in the 46th Psalm. Oh, that Psalm has meant so much to me of late. It seemed like in my travels of late I sense so much insecurity and insufficiency even among God's people these days. But I tell you, He's the God of security. He's a God who is sufficient. And He's a God with might and power. But the expression that thrills me so, the Lord of hosts is with us. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Lord of hosts is with us. Hallelujah. That takes us up into the heavens. That takes us up into the constellations. That takes us up into the stars. The Lord of hosts is with us. That takes us up with the angels. The God of the heavens. The God of the angels. The God of constellations. The God of the stars. He's our God. And He's with us. Hallelujah. And then with one quick sweep, He leaves the heavens and comes right down to earth. And man, He hits the earth. The God of Jacob. From constellations, from angels, he comes down to earth, the God of Jacob. Why does he use Jacob? Of all people. Sometime, Brother Miller, I like to get a message. The God of difficult people. Have you ever met any? Of course you're not. It's your neighbor. The God of difficult people. Jacob was a man, the epitome of difficulty. But it seems to me what God is saying is, the God of Jacob. I'm the God that can reach down to a man like Jacob, a trickster, a supplanter, a conniver, a schemer, whatever you need, he, he's it. But I can change a man like Jacob. And if I can be the God of Jacob, I can be your God and there's hope for you and there's help for me. Hallelujah. Oh, in these closing moments, let's lift our eyes away from ourselves and our past and our failures and our weaknesses. Amen. Let's look. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He is our security. He is our rock. He is our high tower. He's the one that can help us. He can help you no matter what the problem may be or the difficulty. He's on the throne. Hallelujah. This can be our place of blessing. Amen. Oh, for God to sweep the battlements of glory and come down our souls to greet and glory crown the mercy seat. Do it, Lord. Do it. We need you. Oh, for a fresh revelation of thy sufficiency. Shall we stand? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on.
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Oh,